You're listening to SpectraCast, the show where I get behind the scenes on diversity and inclusion. I'll be talking to a number of people who have taken steps towards greater inclusion of others, and also with those who have benefited from being included in the workplace. Whilst my bias might be towards recruiting and retaining neurodiverse people, I'll also explore practical approaches to be more inclusive overall. Hi, I'm your host Chris Turner and I've made it my mission to help employers to embrace and reap the rewards of being more inclusive of neurodiversity. In doing so, I hope to do my little part in ensuring more neurodiverse people get the same opportunities and choices as everyone else when it comes to work and employment. So, if you're curious and want to learn from those who are doing it, and you favour action over inaction, then stick around. So thanks for joining me today. I'm uh, sitting down with Jeanette Perkis, who is an autistic advocate, author, and presenter. And uh, we're going to hear from Jeanette about her experiences as an autistic person in gaining and maintaining employment. And uh, it's a really great chat with Jeanette. So hopefully uh, you'll enjoy. Let's get into it. Yeah, we throw on a dog a bone. Is this a charity thing or is there actually real value in it? You know, because I think you and I both know that there is, but it's trying to get to though that sort of a view for people and help them understand that it's not just about you know doing good and the like. It's there's real purpose behind it. So, well, my employer, just for an example of one, me, my employer has always thought I'm an incredible staff member, and um, I've worked in several different areas, and. Almost every director and supervisor I have ever had has been like, wow, this person's amazing. I have a huge work ethic. My ability, my capability to sit down and do stuff is off the scale. My focus. So I put headphones in and unless someone actually wants to engage me in conversation, I don't talk to anyone and I sit there and I do my job and I'm totally focused and I don't really waste time. I take a little break every hour or so, so I don't get too, you know, like doing some non-work thing for a couple of minutes. But generally, if I'm at work, and I've said that to my managers, if I'm being paid squillions of dollars to do this job, I need to be doing this job. Like, why would I, you know, be getting that kind of thing? Honesty, loyalty, I've been in the same department and its predecessors because the public service changes, you know, every time there's an election and stuff. I've been in the same sort of area for t- almost 12 years and it would never even cross my mind to leave. Um, I care about my job and I think this is echoed by a lot. If you get an autistic person in the workplace and they're doing well and mm-hmm. they're properly supported and they actually feel they're making a difference there and they're included, chances are they will be an exceptional employee. The issues you have are when that... In- are you recording as well? Because if I am, I am. <laughs> That's oh, cool. Well, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be primarily voice only, so uh, <laughs> hey, no one wants to see my mug on uh, too often. Yeah, things to my face or anything. I, I got the new glasses. I look very studious. It's really nice. Yes, you but, do. Um, They're very nice. <laughs> thank you. But, um, yeah, in the workplace, when autistic people have a problem, it's usually reasonably easily fixable mm-hmm. as long as the employer or the manager knows what the issue is. And if the autistic person can communicate what the issue is, that's fantastic. And if the employer understands and responds, that's even more fantastic. But you do tend to find the workplace adjustments for autistic staff members 
are usually quite minor. They might involve taking out a fluorescent light bulb above their workstation, giving them a spare office in an office sort of environment so they're not listening to all the background noise, which I find that really hard working in an open plan office and I don't have my own office, I'm on the floor. And I do find that hard when my supervisor's talking to me and there's all these conversations going on that are hard to filter out. It's like all the information's coming at once. And that kind of thing can be really difficult, but it's reasonably easily solved. Yeah. These who are autistic have a range of really nifty soft skills. So soft skills, of course, are the skills that you can't really teach or that are very hard to teach. You can send someone to do an Excel course. Someone doesn't know how to do a technical skill. You send them off to do a course on it. That's really easy to teach. With soft skills, if people don't have them, they're incredibly difficult to teach. And some of the ones the autistic staff members tend to have, obviously, attention to detail, which is a bit of a cliche, but it's usually quite accurate. Yeah. Also, loyalty, honesty, a work ethic, caring about what they do, a sense of being part of the, you know, the business of, of making things work in the workplace. Um, tend to, I mean, we often get the, the rudeness thing levelled at us, yeah. but usually not rudeness it's just being blunt and if you explain to someone that can be seen in this way by somebody else we tend to be very thoughtful and kind and generally i get a bit sad when people go on about the rudeness things i think it's so often just accidental and unintentional and actually if you talk to an autistic person most of us are very very caring of others and very thoughtful and we don't want to upset anyone so it's the perceptions thing i think employers need to understand more about autism to get the best out of an autistic employee. The other thing that's really important is finding work in a workplace that, that suits the autistic staff member. If you've got someone poorly placed, if they're in an area where they don't feel engaged or where they're not interested or they don't understand the subject matter or where there are interpersonal issues, that can make or break that employee's placement and it often means that they leave the workplace or they get performance managed out because they're not happy. If you're not happy, you're not productive. The interpersonal stuff is so important. Sorry, I'm just rambling here, but I think uh, there's some news. But you know what? I, I, you, you say that and I kind of, the thought that's going through my head is, but how's that different to anyone else? Well, yes, that's true. And is this the challenge yes. that we have is that we... Yeah we think that autistic people are going to be so different and, you know, we've got to really treat them with cotton wool or you know, something special. We'd actually go, they're just another person who has the same needs and challenges Absolutely. that may manifest slightly differently. But The other thing is if you're an employer and you put in place things that work for autistic staff members, guess what? They're going to help everybody else too because yeah. the things that help us help everyone on the same sort of note, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And actually not just doing something for this individual by making our workplace less sensory jangly well that's going to impact on everyone other people might not realize that all the background noise is a bit stressful they might not be aware of that because they haven't articulated it before but if things are easier to navigate with sensory stuff or with interpersonal stuff and people be more respectful to mm -hmm. each other that's fantastic and and these things have this lovely flow on to the, the whole workforce but, yeah, that, yeah. yeah, anyway, ask me some questions. I, I could talk so, about this. <laughs> <laughs> How about, so I think employment for me, it always sort of feels a little bit like a journey. So there's this search for work, apply for work, all things going well, get work, 
And then I've got to hold on to the work. So if we were at the beginning of that process and we're looking at so that initial interaction between a, a candidate or a job seeker and an employer, what, what are some of the challenges or the barriers that you've seen for autistic people getting into, like getting past that recruitment process? Because for a lot of people, that seems to be a real hurdle. There's a few things. And obviously the interview is a big problem for most of us. I'll get back to that later. That's a whole specific problem. Mm. But one of the things is we struggle to sell ourselves. So when you're going for a job, you have to market yourself to the employer. You have to make yourself look as absolutely wonderful as you can so that you stand out from the other candidates. Now, non-autistic people tend to do a little bit of white lies. I don't mean in an unethical sense, but I mean they embellish their skills and and that's understood. That's what an employer is expecting to see. Autistic people, we don't generally do that. We struggle to do that because we might think that's dishonest or we might, it might not even cross our mind that that's something we need to do. Mm-hmm. And so we're putting ourselves, just by nature of who we are, this puts it as, as at a disadvantage with a lot of employers because they are expecting the hard sell. This is me. I'm good at that. I'm good at this. I've done all these great things, yay, employ me. The other thing is a lack of confidence. So Mm -hmm. if you go through school and you experience bullying and abuse and all of those things, if you live in a world that is different from how your understanding is of the world and you're sort of a minority and you're in the outer and you feel isolated and you struggle to make friends and then you start going for work, well, you're lacking confidence. It's very difficult, to be, especially as a young person, but for anyone, really. It is hard to be confident if you've gone through all those difficulties and challenges that actually are invalidations. They're saying you don't matter. So when you want to go for a job, you have to think I do matter. I matter so much. Employer will say, yay, what an awesome person. I need to hire them. But if you're really underconfident and you're really honest... That's almost impossible for a lot of people. It's a really difficult thing. So building, building self-esteem is so important to building employ, employability and ability to join the workforce. It's a really important point. The other one, of course, is the interview. So you get to interview, you need to be confident. Basically, interviews favour confident extroverts. So if you're a confident extrovert and you go to an interview, it's going to be awesome. You'll have a lovely conversation. You'll just say, I'm so good, I need this job, please hire me, and it will all be good. If you're not a confident extrovert and if you find the whole process of being in a room full of strangers firing questions at you and your livelihood depends on this, so it's not just a conversation. This is a highly loaded conversation. This is your life, especially if you really want the job or if you're really poor and you desperately need the job. So that's really difficult. Also, the interpersonal skills that we have don't always translate to to the interview process. And if we're really anxious, then our sort of uh, coping strategies may be more obvious and if Mm -hmm. people don't understand about that we might seem to be a little bit odd and most employers don't want an odd staff member because i mean rightfully or wrongfully they worry that an odd staff member might not be cohesive with the team so there's all these things at play and then you wonder about whether or not you should say you're autistic and that's another whole conversation (laughs) it is yeah closure and that when do you do this do you do it at all who do you say it to all of that stuff and all of these things mean it's extremely hard for us to actually get into the workplace in the first place. Now, some of the organisations working with autistic job seekers, people like um, the Dandelion Program and Specialist Stern and all of them, mm-hmm. have some other strategies around interviews, which I think are great. They, I think um, Dandelion has a three-week program 
and it's like an assessment and it's not an interview. So you don't actually have to get everything together and do half an hour of being wonderful. You get yeah. to you get to do the job and you can prove whether you can do it or not. And I think that's much better. The thing about interviews, interviews, exams and IQ tests are very similar. So mm -hmm. if you have a really high IQ, you might do really well on an IQ test or you might not. If you get a really low score, it does not mean that you're not intelligent. It just means you're not good at IQ tests. And those kind of things, a job interview, a job interview doesn't tell anyone whether you can do the job or not. It really doesn't. It tells people that you can do job interviews. Um, so there's a lot of stuff by just helping autistic people to do job interviews. And they sort of think, well, can we flip that and think, why do we need job interviews? We're actually, these are not only not useful for autistic employees and other introverted people, they're not useful for employers. You're not actually getting the bang for your buck if you do an interview because all you get, you've got the person's CV and that's great. Your CV is a really useful way of understanding what they've done and maybe what they can do. But if you have an interview and they do well in an interview, it actually has very little bearing on how good at the job they'll be. And it's a really important thing. So we're not talking about onerous provisions for employers. To rethink recruitment processes and interviews actually has a lot of benefit for employers. So it's about rethinking. A lot of this is just reframing how we approach stuff. And we yeah. tend to be a bit flexible as humans. We've had all these processes in place for generations. This is what you do. But it doesn't have to be what you do. Uh, and sometimes flipping that and seeing it differently can not just benefit autistic staff members, it can benefit all the staff members and the boss and the, and the company. So that, that stuff, that think, seeing things in a different light, so thinking outside the box is really important. Yeah. I think that um, having those opportunities to... Um, to, to show what you can do versus tell what you can do is, can be really powerful as well. Um, and the time frame as well. Like yeah, so you don't have a time pressure on it. Yeah, it's, 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 and it just, if you start screwing up an interview, it gets worse and worse and worse, you know, and that, <laughs> really stressful it's a really stressful thing for a person to get to get an interview and it can be really hard when you're young I, when I joined the workforce in 1992 I was 17 and I was living out of home so I needed the income I really needed the job I had no money and so I got this job but at the time everyone was talking about how they needed experienced employees who were young and I'm thinking well if you have young employees they're not going to be so experienced and I really felt quite trapped I felt like it was a bit of a catch-22 like well yeah I can't get older I can't get experience without doing jobs so what so that kind of thing can be really stressful and demoralizing for people and also I mean I wasn't diagnosed until I was 20 so I didn't know that I had barriers to getting a job it didn't occur to me I, I got a job and that was what you did but <laughs> I know now some of the stuff, like, of course, having a diagnosis at a young age is generally a very, very good thing and it means you can access supports and understand yourself better and have an identity and positive autistic pride, all those lovely things. Mm -hmm. But what it does do is bring a lot of deficits into the conversation about somebody's ability to do things. So if you have, a, you look at the DSM-5, and I, there's a reason for this, the criteria within the DSM-5 of autism diagnosis are all negative, they're all deficits. And that is because that's a diagnostic manual. So when people get that diagnosis, it is for the purposes of accessing support. Mm -hmm. Fair enough, that's how it works. The problem is that that actually isn't the most helpful way of viewing autistic people through all those deficits, you can't do this and you can't do that. The yeah. most helpful 
my mind, a view of autistic people is much more strength-based and about difference rather than disability. Um, but for kids who come up through, you know, they get a, a diagnosis early, from school, from home, from everywhere, it can be a real focus on the deficits and what they can't do well. So, um, yeah, that's a really important thing to think about is that if people have been told their whole life that they can't do things and they're different and that's not necessarily a good thing, when it comes to going for work, well, there's going to be a lack of confidence and there's going to be a lack of that, you know, when I go to work, I know I can do my job because I've been there for so long. I'm confident of that. But not being confident of being able to do your job is really difficult for you and it also reflects really poorly to the employer if people think they don't know what they're doing. You know, nobody's, no supervisor will go, yay, my staff member's really underconfident. So confidence <laughs> is really important. So when we're thinking about talking about autism and deficits and all of that, it's really important to promote the strength space, you know, across the life course, not just for kids. Mm, absolutely. And so what kind of tips would you give an employer in terms of, so, okay, we've, we've got this, um, this person, they've gone through the interview, well, they've gone through the, <laughs> getting into the job process, whatever that may have looked like. So now they're, now they're at work, but you know, there's, we've still got some challenges around interpersonal skills, around perception of behaviour and um, confidence. What are some of the things that, in it, uh, that a, a manager or an employer might be able to do to help build that confidence up in that employee? I think the first thing that an employer of an autistic staff member needs to do is build their own autism knowledge, both generally and specifically for their employer and how that, what that means for them. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important because often the assumptions people will make from both sides of the equation are really unhelpful and can actually lead to a lot of very bad consequences, even like someone losing their job because there's a misunderstanding. I've got a lovely example. It's not my example. Um, I was in a conference. Um, ages ago in Tasmania and there was a guy who used to manage an employment service gave the talk before me in our session and he gave an example of a young man who'd been placed in a sort of office environment and he was really enjoying it it was going well he liked his job he could see a future there and then one day out of the blue he rings up this guy who's the employment service manager and says I lost my job I don't even know why and so the the manager said well what happened he said, well you know I had a meeting booked and so, you know, at 10.30, and so at 10 o'clock, I went past the room, stuck my head in and said, hey, guys, could you please make sure you finish on time and chuck out all your rubbish on the way out? Thank you. Went back to my desk and a couple of hours later, I got fired. I never know what I did. And the manager said, well, who was in the meeting room? Oh, that was the CEO and the board. Now, you know, it sort of sounds funny, but it isn't. And that kind of thing, those understanding so what the, the employee's manager would have thought i can almost guarantee it he would have been horrified because it would have reflected very badly on him that one of his staff had gone and insulted senior management um, and he also wouldn't have understood why he probably would have thought that it was complete rudeness deliberate rudeness and insubordination and being a right little so-and-so you know being very very and inappropriate deliberately. I'm almost certain in that scenario, just from hearing it, that the young man wanted to prove himself, he's really keen on this job, he wanted to make sure he was organising this meeting, he wanted to make sure it was done well, and he didn't understand the issues of hierarchy. So there's a lot of unwritten rules in the workplace, yes. and it really help employers to understand that there are unwritten rules and what they might be because autistic people go by a different set of rules to that. We often don't pick up on those subtle, nuanced little rules that everybody else is, is well aware of and that can lead to situations like that. In an ideal world, that 
manager would have spoken to that employee and asked why he did what he did. So asking why is a really important thing. If something's not working, ask why, ask how the, what the person thinks about it, that kind of thing. Having a dialogue and uh, being aware that there will be assumptions and misunderstandings and those need unpacking. Also, listening to things like if a staff member says, I'm having trouble working with this manager, they mean it. They're not being difficult. When we complain of an interpersonal problem with someone, we often get dismissed. We often have people say, oh, no, they're fine. Well, no, they're not fine. If, if I raise that a manager I've got or a colleague I've got is making my life really difficult, they are, and that doesn't need to be listened to as much as possible. I and mean, understandably, managers need to, you know, allocate work the way they allocate it, but it's really important to remember that one. Also, um, being aware of sensory stuff because this can cause people to lose, leave their jobs or lose their jobs as well. Yeah. And the problem with sensory stuff, if you don't have it, is that our senses are how we understand the world. They are our reality, what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we touch. This is our way of understanding the world. And a lot of people don't understand that not everyone's sensory experience is the same. And for some people, sensory stuff is off the scale nasty or nice for that matter. Mm. Um, so being aware of that is really important. Some of the common points that are issues for sensory stuff is the background noise in the open plan office. Solution to that, put the person somewhere where there aren't many staff or put them in a spare office or, or spare meeting room if that's possible. Um, lighting, fluorescent lighting and LED lighting can be absolutely horrendously overwhelming for autistic people or for people with sensory processing disorder because you don't have to be autistic to have that. Yeah. I have a friend called Penny and she um, wears a baseball cap because the when she gives a presentation, she wears a baseball cap because the glary lights just make it impossible for her to focus on what she's saying and it's really unpleasant. So that's that's a really important thing to be aware of. Smells, toilet smells. You know, I know somebody who has really, really strong uh, sense of smell and very very bothered by by foul smells and they have, a, they, they have a spare toilet that's just for her and she can go off in this toilet and it's one cubicle so it's not a room full and that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it's actually not that hard and not doing it can make you lose that staff member. The, the other thing yeah. is reassurance, reassurance and feedback. We generally need this. Some managers don't give any feedback at all. Um, and then at the performance review, they go, oh, that was great. You're doing really well. Keep up the good work. But we don't assume that. I think a lot of people assume if you don't get any feedback at all, it's good because if you're doing something wrong, yeah. then okay. your manager it was wrong. But for a lot of autistic people, including me, I do need someone to say good job, thank you, whatever, for the work, or I doubt myself. And I think, oh, is, am I, do I know what I'm doing? Is it all okay? Yeah. That kind of regular reassurance, even if it's a weekly meeting, you know, if it's talking to your staff member, just going through what's on their plate work-wise and just saying, oh, look, you did that really well or, you know, you could probably improve there. But that, that is really important, the, the feedback. And even constructive feedback. Not everyone likes constructive feedback, but it's quite useful. Um, and also, I think fixating on autistic type stuff, you know, like autistic expression, stimming, things like that, is really unhelpful um, unless it's actually causing an issue in the workplace, just let it be. It's not, I think, it's really interesting actually as an autistic employee because I go to work and I'm really self-conscious that, I mean, I don't want to be too too out there or people won't, I'm pretty out there anyway, but... Um, <laughs> 
I mean, that, that kind of two-way thing about, you know, your expression and that's actually okay to express yourself as long as it's not disrupting or upsetting anyone. But, yeah, I guess that's a few things. Yeah. So that, um, that piece on the feedback I think is an interesting one because I've, I've heard that and not in relation to autistic people at all, right? but yeah. that um, the value to be gained from regular, just even if it's just a, like a, a quick slap on the back or, you know, uh, just in, an, in, an in-passing comment from a manager to an employee to acknowledge something that they've done well it's little things that everybody really appreciates. Even as you say, like most people will work on the basis of no news is good news, but it doesn't mean I don't like to be told. No. You know, everyone gets it. It pumps you up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone Just feels a bit better. It's something is, is great and it doesn't, you know, it takes like half a second. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Of course, the other thing is not to assume that only the autistic person with the diagnosis is the only autistic person in the workplace. I have mm-hmm. worked with a lot of people, managers and colleagues, who I'm fairly certain um, were on the spectrum but weren't diagnosed or didn't know or whatever. So that ass- assumption that everyone's neurotypical that isn't neurodivergent with the diagnosis is is a is not helpful because actually you know one in a hundred people in Australia are apparently that's the figure for autism these days. So if you've got a workplace of two thousand people, you have at least twenty autistic ones by statistics. So um, yes, yes. And it's interesting because I think there'd be a particular age group where it's probably it's less likely that they have a diagnosis or even an awareness. Yeah, my age or older, basically, um, I would say. Uh, yeah, I had a manager once. I loved her to bits. She was fantastic. But I'm fairly certain she was on the spectrum. And um, she had issues, actually, with people misunderstanding her motivations. Uh, but I, I loved her to bits. And, um, yeah, she read my autobiography and she said, I can see a lot of myself in this. I'm like, yeah, but you can. <laughs> and also, yeah, I mean... There's no one way of doing this stuff. If you've got a relationship with an employee that's working, even if it's unconventional or or doing things in a way that that you wouldn't think would work, who cares? Do what works. It's really important. Um, Yeah, yeah. if it's broke, don't fix it. That's interesting. Um, And then, so we've talked about some uh, rethinking the, the recruitment process and, and some of those opportunities to provide better support to employees. What have been some of the kind of key things that you've encountered personally that you thought that that works really well? And, and maybe it's not necessarily just for you, but you could see conceptually it's just a really good move. Yeah. Oh, there's been, I've had some amazing managers. I had one, there was some issue and um, when I first joined my current workplace and something came up that needed addressing and I was really anxious about it and I went and saw my boss and I didn't know whether or not I should see my boss and she was so reassuring and she said okay leave this with me and she took it on board and actually it wasn't a big issue at all and it got resolved but that was really nice so a manager who's available and I really love that when managers are available I know sometimes they're not because it's so busy um, I think actually setting boundaries is really important too. Like if, okay. um, 
you know, to say, actually, I'm really busy this week, but I'll talk to you next week and we can sit down and have a meeting together and go through your work rather than just saying, go away, I'm busy. Like actually putting in context um, the busyness and sort of yeah. what, what I expect out of that because obviously I work in government administration and it can get pretty hectic at times. Um, I think people just being friendly to me and asking me about stuff, um, sometimes people get a bit weird, like with the autism thing and I don't can talk to that. But, um, yeah, when people just sort of treat me like anyone else, I guess it's really nice. Mostly that does happen these days, which is lovely, yep. and I have a very supportive and good employer. Um, I guess recognition. I've had a lot of recognition for my good work in the workplace. I've got a couple of awards from CEOs um, and that kind of thing. So if you do a good job, yet recognised. We have an ability network at my workplace and for the last couple of years I've been a co-chair for that and that's a great thing. A disability staff network, if you don't have one, get one. They're a great thing. We have a few networks in my workplace. We've got a pride network, um, a the Wisdom Network, which was for older employees, um, okay. one for culture and leaders, one for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. So they're really, really good things. Um, and this actually gives an outlet and shows, demonstrates that the employer wants to be an employer of choice for people from diverse groups, which is great for everybody. Um, we use affirmative measures in recruitment for the last couple of years for people with disability and for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. So this stated commitment to diversity at the highest level is a wonderful thing and it actually is good for employers. This is not just good for the staff, this is good for the business. Um, so that's really important. And I think just, yeah, just being friendly and kind and appreciating what I do and explaining things to me and not... I struggle a lot with micromanagement, which I guess everyone does. Yeah. Uh, there's three things that are going to make an employee not want to be at work. One of them's micromanagement, the other's being bullied and the other is being placed somewhere completely inappropriate. Um, mm -hmm. If you have those things or a combination of them, you will not want to be at work, basically. Um, so I really do struggle with the, the micromanaging thing. Um, I had one branch head years ago who was just absolute gold. She was the best person. For senior managers, she's the best one I've ever, ever had. And there was a colleague who was just, um, let's say she was bullying, but she was very difficult to work with. She's a very angry person and stuff. And I was just absolutely, I just couldn't do it. I worked next to this person and it was awful. And one day I went into the branch and I said, I can't work with her. And the branch said, right, spare office, in you go. Which actually, yeah, and that was instant. That response to this staff member isn't coping with something in order to make her able to do her job and make her happy because she was that kind of manager. She really, really cared about people's emotions and, and you know, their whole self, I suppose. Yeah. And so in action as soon as she realized there was an issue and it was impacting both me and my ability to do my work she said right here's a solution and that's really good um i don't really make mistakes i've probably made about three mistakes with consequences in almost 12 years and i made one once and my manager who was the one who i think was probably autistic um I'm very honest and upfront and there is no point in hiding a mistake because that just makes it a thousand times worse so i thought oh, i better bite the bullet i went in and there was no blame and it was like, okay, this has happened, what do we do? And that attitude was really nice. So not sort of blaming people for getting it wrong but making a practical sense of, okay, this has happened, what do we do? Because I was yeah. blaming myself enough. I'm a perfectionist and most autistic employees, I reckon, will probably be perfectionists and that's not necessarily a good thing. That's often a very bad thing. I guess yeah. the other thing 
just being there for me, you know, when I've got things to say. I am somebody that will talk to the manager a bit more than most people, I think, and work through stuff because, you know, it works. Um, I love work. I, I've always loved work. But it can be quite a challenge being there with all those people and, you know, different personalities and stuff and quite high-pressure work. Um, so being able just to go in, you know, the open-door policy is a great thing for me and I can just pop in there as you know, they're not too busy and say, oh, it's going on, you know, just work through stuff. I found that really helpful. I think that's that's my ideal manager is one way. Just when I need to, I can just go in and have a conversation. So, yeah, it's some good things. I, I've always loved my job. It's been um, it's been amazing. It's been liberation. You know, it's been, oh, I used to live in public housing and I had no money. And now, you know, I own my own place. I'm very proud of what I've done and where I've got to. And having that support from work has just been really lovely. I mean, I've worked hard, I do well myself, but it, it has been a really lovely thing to, in my life, you know, that I've had this really solid base of um, mm. and I've never really felt, I mean, I have a very secure job in the scheme of things, but, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. Uh, and credit to my employer at all levels, you know, the supervisor level to the CEO level, it's been fantastic. Yeah, I think it's easy to underestimate sometimes the, um, the impact that having, like, a proper job, having real work can have on someone's life. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about, um, we talked about self-advocacy advocacy before, um, and this may not necessarily be, I, I don't know how this would play out, I'm just trying to think it through, but um, from an employer's perspective, what are some of the things that they might be able to, to put in place or to do or to be mindful of to help support someone to self-advocate? Or And this may even go back to that disclosure piece as well that we mentioned. I think it's an environmental thing. I think you can tell when you're in a workplace, or I can when I'm in a workplace that is supportive and is quite happy for me to talk about autism and, and all of those things are quite happy for me to be myself. I think it's an attitude. It's a, a, a corporate attitude. It's a cultural thing within that, in that business. Um, and it can work from, you know, an employer of 2,000 people down to an employer of three people. And it really is the feeling that you get when you're at work. And you can, and I think most people that I know would probably relate to this. You can tell when you're in a workplace where disclosing and talking about your autism is going to be frowned upon and it's going to make your life difficult. Um, of course, in, in my in my world, um, I would like that to be no employers like that and all of yeah. them where we yeah, this is me. Um, yeah. But I think it really is a cultural thing. It comes out of culture, the workplace. And, of course, cultural change is the hardest thing to do of, of any, anything, to my mind, in an employer, especially a bigger employer, the hardest thing to do is to change the culture. So if you've already got that, that's a great thing. Yeah, it's a challenge because I even, uh, and this has been talking to students at university and, and I think there's quite a, a substantial percentage of students on the spectrum at university who don't disclose um, due to concerns around stigma. Yes, um, very common, yeah. And, very and I'm just wondering how much of that then rolls through into common workplaces, you know, typically. Because, you know, I, I, think, I think it's harder for most people to disclose at work than it is at uni. Um, it, that's my general experience. I, I think the problem is if you don't disclose and anything goes wrong, you have a meltdown at work and nobody knows you're autistic. No one's going to put that any context around that. No. And they'll just 
really poor behaviour and you're chucking a wobbler for no good reason. So I've always found that disclosure for me is an important thing um, just because of that. And if I need any workplace adjustments or anything, well, if I don't have some reason to access those, no one will give them to me. Um, and it is a really difficult decision though. And I tend to say with disclosure, it's individual for each person and for each workplace and for each job within the same workplace. Um, it really is. I suggest having a strategy. So you think about what you want to do and what your out, what outcome you want from whether or not you disclose. You can change that when it comes to the situation, but um, it's useful to have that so you've thought about it and considered it, and then you can adapt it as necessary. But it's a really difficult decision. There's also in the work in the process of employment. There's a few stages at which you can, or you can choose to or not. So when you apply for the job, you could tell them. When you have the interview, you could tell them. When you get offered the job, you can tell them. When you start the job, you can tell them. Or when you've been in the job for a little while, you can tell them. So there's five um, elements of when do I actually do this? And the other one is who do I do it to? Because when I'm yes. at work, I can disclose in the HR system. When I join, you know, when I go on the, the internet and do my HR stuff, I can put my, um, I can disclose in the staff census that goes out to the whole public service so I can disclose to my manager and these are all very different things and they all mean very different things in terms of what that what that will result in for me so yes. it's a huge issue it is a huge issue um, and sometimes it backfires sometimes you think oh, I should in this situation or I shouldn't in this situation you found out you should have done the other thing um, but um, Um, sorry, I just had a message from a friend. I thought I'd turn that off. Anyway, <laughs> um, yes, um, I think disclosure is a really major issue um, and it's a major consideration for anyone who has some kind of hidden disability or difference. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I think you've got that, um, we talked about the interview process. You know, so if you're coming into that recruitment part of the, of the, the work experience, it's kind of, it's, it does seem like it's a really critical juncture and, and not disclosing for many people on the spectrum, they're going to put themselves at a disadvantage. I mean, I, I know you probably know plenty as well who will sail through an interview, no drama. Yeah, they can cope with that. It's fine. But, um, but there's plenty who don't. Um, but then it's kind, of like, it's kind of, I think there's this, can I disclose now and then not later until... Yeah. It's, I feel it's more appropriate, you know. So how, how do you feel, feel that can work out? Well, for me, I've always, in the last, for the last sort of 15 years, I've disclosed to employers um, and it's worked well for me. Um, it's difficult, though, because it is something you know in hindsight whether you made the right choice. Yes. I'm good at interview. I'm very good at job interviews. Um, I'm unusual in that regard, but I've always been very good at job interviews. Um, but I do know that a lot of people aren't. The problem is as well, there are times at which it's going to really disadvantage you if you're going to be disadvantaged and it might result in not getting a job. Now, yeah. of course, discrimination is completely illegal, but it's also impossible to prove and no employer is going to say you didn't get the job because you have a disability. They'll just say you weren't the right candidate. 
And um, that is a huge problem is that disc hidden discrimination that people are fairly certain that's why they didn't get it, but there is no proving it. There, yeah. there is no way of proving that unless the employer actually says, and yes, employers aren't that silly, sadly. Um, but there are points. If you do disclose when you apply or interview, then there's a definite risk that you won't be offered the job. So that one is worth a lot of consideration that is definitely worth thinking about. Um, right. If you've been offered the job or you've started, they're not going to say, no, you can't have the job because that would be very clear and obvious discrimination and you could sue the pants off them. Uh, but those pre-decision pre um, disclosure points can be quite tricky. And I generally suggest that unless... Unless they really need to, I would generally, or if it's a job related to autism, if it's actually a job related to autism or disability or advocacy or community services, this mm -hmm. is probably a plus. Um, I, I think in those in those situations, it is probably yeah. a very good thing to do. If you're applying for a job at advocacy for inclusion, saying you have a disability is a very good thing, um, generally. But if you're applying for a job in a big corporation, it might not be. So I guess it's about knowing the circumstances as well. Um, but yes, those those sort of pre pre decision about whether you get the job or not, it's it's quite a, a sensitive time, and I would suggest people really carefully consider whether they have to at that point. Yeah. So, and, and I know there's lots of employers who who I it's not are very support that, that are supportive of difference, um, and many of them are keen to increase their pool of different people. Yeah, um, I think sometimes it might be a bit of a challenge around positioning um, themselves around the, the level of support and the, 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 how genuine that really is. And sometimes you, can, you, know, you might get a question in an application form that could be a little bit tricky to work your way through. But have you seen examples of, of where that can be presented really well and made really clear? Oh, I think... Um I think that's really important, actually. There's, there's some companies that are doing really good things. ANZ, for example, the ANZ Bank is doing some wonderful work around this, as is Westpac, and actually finding people who are different and genuinely um, making that work and, and also tailoring jobs to, to people rather than putting people in jobs. And so this person has this skill set. So where can we put them in the organisation? I think that's a really lovely, genuine commitment. That's saying, well, diversity is great because, and this is very true, diversity is great for an employer because you get a whole bunch of different thinkers, you get a whole bunch of different approaches. If you're in knowledge work or in business, you know, in a corporation, banking, that kind of thing, these are huge pluses. You want people that can think outside the box. You want people that are going to, you know, work together with other people who are different. Diversity is actually a huge plus. And mm. um, for a lot of employers, that is the case. There is a lag between some employers and other employers, so some haven't caught up and they need to figure that out. Some do pay lip service. Some, oh, yes, we're an employer of choice. And then actually the people with disability working there aren't all that happy. Um, it's not a very supportive place. But I do know that some of the corporates now are doing some amazing things and actually putting people in work and finding. I mean, I gave a talk up at Westpac in Sydney a few months ago and they employed people with a view to finding somewhere where that person will go. So instead of saying, we have this job of counting widgets, they say, person who's really good at all this stuff, put them here. And I think that's a great thing and that, that great commitment to genuine diversity. But I do think some employers 
are saying they do this stuff and they're not quite there yet and then other employers don't even say they're doing it. So I think there needs to be a lot of work in this space with employers to help them understand that that genuine diversity in the workforce is actually great for business and that's you're not going to convince employers of anything if you don't get it down to their bottom line because that's, that's what they're doing, that's why they're there. And actually, genuine diversity is good for the bottom line for a, a vast range of employers. Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. And I think there's, there has been some research around it, but maybe not enough, and hopefully there's more case studies that other employers can turn to and, and, and see that there is, there is genuine commercial value. It's, it's not just a charity play. It's not just the, you know, corporate social responsibility. It actually makes real good sense. Absolutely. You're not going to get businesses to do anything if you tell them it's because they're nice. You're, you're being nice if you do this. I mean, yes, businesses aren't unpleasant generally, but they're not going to be motivated to employ people because it's nice. They will be motivated to employ people if it's going to increase their business. And that's that's basically, I talk to a lot of CEOs and that's my starting point. It's like, this will actually help you to do what you do better. Mm. Awesome. And uh, I think that feels to me like a really nice, neat place to put a bow on it. Um, I say thanks again, Jeanette, for your time today. Really no, appreciated it. It's, um, it's been good. been a great chat. been very insightful. Um, and I hope people really get something out of it. So thank you very much. Oh, no, thank you for having me. I've got to go do another one now. <laughs> <laughs> You're a busy girl. No problem. <laughs> Thanks for watching it. Cheers. Then. Okay. Thanks for listening to the show. I really hope that you got something out of it and that you feel like you learned something new. If you did find the show helpful, please leave a rating and/or a comment, as it will really help to spread these lessons and insights wider, and hopefully inspire more people to take the next step toward creating more inclusive workplaces. Also, if there is a topic or guest that you'd like me to explore or have on the show, drop me an email or reach out on LinkedIn. Your input is what will help keep the show relevant and helpful going forward. So, until next time, let's work together and level the playing field for neurodiverse job seekers.